0: Welcome to Head Change, the podcast all about positive personal growth and intentional living. At the intersection of culture and faith. The goal? To help you live life like never before. And now, your host, author, speaker, and hero award winning humanitarian, James L. Clark. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to podcast 0004 of Head Change. Today, we're going to be talking about Bing. Wrong, the opposite of being right. In other words, thinking we know what we're talking about or thinking that our point of view is the only point of view, and that's just a bad idea. Quite frankly, that's wrong. It's right to be wrong sometimes. At least when you're wrong and you can admit it, you have a chance of success. When you're stubborn and unwilling to see other perspectives, I promise you, I guarantee you, I absolutely am sure that you'll have outcomes that you do not like. And the consequences are. It'll take longer for you to reach where you want to reach because the obstacles that come in your way become impassable. Being wrong is a good thing sometimes. Having people point it out in a loving, constructive way is one of the best gifts you can ever have given to you. I would strongly, strongly encourage you, my friends, to be willing to look in the mirror and ask yourself, did I make a mistake? Am I wrong? And if you are, admit it and learn from it. It'll make you a better person. I absolutely promise you. St. Augustine said, right is right, even if no one is doing it, and wrong is wrong, even if everyone is doing it. Some wise words and something to think about. A great quote that I read is, a fool is in someone who is wrong. A fool is someone who is afraid of being wrong. Our first dictionary word today is fortnight, the space of 14 nights and days or two weeks. As in, I'm going on holiday for a fortnight. It sounds like I'm living in the UK. The second word is gamble, G-A-M-B-O-L, not gamble as in I'm going to put 20 down on black, but to gamble, to dance and skip about and play, to frolic. If I'm honest, there are times in my life when I find it really difficult to admit that I'm wrong. Not as much now as I've matured over the years, but certainly when I was younger, I had a real problem with it, man. I couldn't be wrong about anything. Here's one. Here's a story that's really bad, that really illustrates how stupid I could be. So I, I was in the army and I was in Korea at the time. This is uh, circa 1990 or something like that. So uh, way back in the day, I was uh, talking to a friend of mine. Um, I don't remember his last name. Uh, it was Enrico was his first name. It's been a long time, over 20 years. And so we're eating ramen, okay? If you've not had shin ramen, it's a Korean ramen that's real spicy. Put a slice of cheese on top of it. Oh, it's to die for. It's fantastic. So anyways, he's chewing on ramen and I don't know, we got into an argument about something and I had to prove that I was right. I was being a real jerk. And uh, I said, oh, you can't eat that, man. You know, it's just going to dehydrate you. And of course I had no scientific data whatsoever to back up the claim, but I just had to prove that I was right. So I argued with him about how bad it was to eat ramen dry or dehydrate it (laughs) like a total idiot. So uh, I still remember that to this day. And again, it's been over 20 years. So Sort of funny, but uh, I still eat ramen. I still really enjoy it. It's one of my favorite snacks. It's a little hard to get where I live now, but man, I sure do enjoy it. It's, uh, and it, it's the one that's red with black labels. If, you, if you're familiar with it, you know what I'm talking about. When I was in Nepal this year, uh, going to help with the earthquake, I was in a small little uh, store, sort of like a supermarket in Kathmandu, and no lie, I walked past and there was this massive box of ramen I literally brought some home because where I live right now, there are none. You cannot get that package. You cannot get that kind of ramen. So I brought a bunch back in my suitcase. (laughs) All right. I've got two books that are relevant to this podcast that I can highly recommend to you. The first is by Katherine Schultz. I absolutely love her book on being wrong. It is worth reading from front to back because the philosophies, the ideas, the concepts, the tips, everything she shares in that book is just a really wonderful expose and exploration of being wrong and why we behave the way we behave. The second book I'm going to recommend is called Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely. It's another book written by somebody who's very intelligent, but they write in such a way that it makes it easier for people like you and me to be able to understand it without going, oh my God, this is an academic piece please somebody shoot me. If you don't have both of those, I would highly recommend getting them. You don't have to get them for my links. I will, if I remember, put the links in the content page or on the blog. But the truth of the matter is, pick them up. You can get them online at Amazon or Half or, or wherever. There's plenty of places you can get them online these days for pretty good prices. Either way, I strongly suggest adding them to your library because they're valuable and they can help you start to think differently. And it's always worth questioning the things happening around you. That's why this topic of being right or being wrong is so relevant. Because often in life, we think we have all the information, but we don't. And we make, you know, if you're spending time in the field in the military or you do humanitarian work like I do, you want to make decisions based on good, solid, reputable information that people give you so that you don't go out there and make a decision that can be potentially dangerous. The problem is we tend to be often really stupid. Our eyes fool us, our ears fool us, our senses fool us. We think we've got all the information and we don't, and then we make decisions that can harm us or just set us back on the road to wherever we're trying to get to. I'm not sure if you uh, know who Martin Gardner is, but Martin Gardner is the father, or at least he's considered the father of modern skepticism. I would definitely classify myself as a skeptic, not in a bad way, not in a rude way, not in a way that's designed to hurt or malign or or marginalize people, but in a, in a way that says... I don't want to accept it just because somebody said it. It's really, in my opinion, not a really good idea to assume that everything you're told is accurate. I mean, this is why we have lawyers, right? This is why when you go to court, you've got two different sides. And they present their case to the judge or to the jury or both. Because the fact of the matter is, we're not always right. And sometimes we need third parties, you know? We need things adjudicated. We need a group of our peers who are intelligent, hopefully, to sit down and look at all the evidence and help us make a decision. Let me give you a different example of what I'm talking about here. I started in magic as a hobby, not magic in terms of, you know, hugging trees and worshipping the earth and wearing a pentagram, but magic and illusion, okay? Mind mentalism, card tricks, coin tricks, these kind of things. I started doing that when I was really young. It's something that I, I don't know, I, it's a good and bad thing. It's an interesting industry. It's full of weird and interesting and strange and lovable creatures that um, that aren't necessarily in the mainstream all the time. I mean, there's, there's a reason why people make fun of magicians. I was never the satin shirt wearing type of guy. I just, that's not who I was. I started getting into magic when I was about 12 and stayed in it for many, many, many years and decades, in fact, and eventually even produced some magic tricks that very well known names, people you would know, people you would recognize on television as being the quote unquote top magicians have purchased from me. So there's always people out there like us who are entrepreneurs in nature and will develop or design or produce what we call effects and sell them to other magicians. So it goes without saying that in many ways, magicians know how to exploit the way we think. Now, I'm not talking about motives in terms of why someone does magic or does not do magic. I think a lot of people get into magic for all the wrong reasons, because it's all about fooling people and making themselves feel better. And I think that's inherently self-centered and dangerous. But there are other people in magic that do it because they really enjoy the art. They enjoy the technical aspect of it. They work really hard to become good at it, just like you would if you were a guitarist. Although I always tend to joke that you can't just pick up a guitar and start playing, but you can go to any magic shop and buy a trick and do it instantaneously, virtually, by just reading the directions. So you don't necessarily... necessarily have to come to magic with true skill or with a true artistic ability, but if you stay with it, eventually you're going to start develop those kind of skill sets. I mean, like being able to communicate with people, be able to talk to people, be able to look them in the eye and, you know, carry yourself generally in a positive way. So don't hear me knocking magic per se, especially if you're a magician, because it won't be long before I'll hear nonsense from the community there. I'm just saying these are realities of that particular industry. And there's no question at all that a magician who knows what they're doing can exploit the way the brain works. Right, think about our visual cortex. It's one of the most developed parts of the human brain. And yet, we will see things and totally get what we see wrong. Visual illusions are a great example of that, because the brain has a tendency to skip from A to Z. In other words, it sees the beginning, it assumes the middle, and it goes right to the end. It fills in gaps with what it knows to be true, or at least what it thinks it knows to be true based on experiences. The brain's like a computer, right? Garbage in, garbage out, good in, good out. And that ability to skip from A to Z instantaneously is very beneficial when your life is being threatened. In many situations, it's just better to go onto autopilot than it is to try to figure out what you're going to do when seconds matter. That's why fight or flight can be so important to saving someone's life. Go back and listen to my podcast in Fear if you want to learn a little bit more about that if you haven't already. But that automatic programming isn't always good. I mean, it's especially not good if you're dealing with something where you really need to sit down and evaluate and examine and make a really good decision. You don't want to just jump to conclusions. I mean, there's a reason there's a negative connotation with the concept of jumping to conclusions. There's a reason why as we're growing up or throughout our entire life, people say, don't jump to conclusions because jumping to conclusions, assuming you're correct, isn't always going to be a beneficial thing. I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here. I'm not trying to repeat the same thing over and over and over again. But, you know, sometimes it helps to think about the same thing from different perspectives said different ways over and over and over again until the brain is able to assimilate it and perhaps change a pattern. That's why I used the illustration of magic earlier because at the end of the day, magicians know how to exploit the way the brain thinks and can prove to you that what you think you know is not accurate. I mean, if you see a coin disappear, did it really disappear? I mean, come on. It may look amazing, like it was in my hand and now it's gone. But it really didn't disappear, okay? Something is going on underneath. Something's going on in between that your brain didn't catch, right? Misdirection, technique, things that were employed to create the illusion that you just thought you saw. You may suspend your disbelief for a moment during a magic show if you go see David Copperfield and he vanishes from a box or some other illusionist and a lion, you know, replaces a girl or something like that. But none of us really, at least I hope not, none of us are so moronic as to think, oh, that must be real. That must be legitimate, right? However, there are other forms of magic that fly a little bit closer to the line, if you will, a little bit closer to the flame, And as a consequence, well-intentioned, good people are duped into believing something is 100% true, when in fact, it's not. A good example of this are people who believe in psychic powers. ESP, the ability to bend spoons or forks, the ability to communicate with the dead, the ability to read minds. They genuinely, honestly, truly believe that those powers exist despite over a hundred years of scientific investigations that suggest the contrary is true. Now, I can't actually tell you whether or not ESP or a sixth sense exists. I really don't know. I can tell you, though, based on my experience, everything I've seen that has been demonstrated or portrayed as ESP, well, really wasn't. I've seen people use trickery and deception to create the illusion of a sixth sense. There are some people that do it out there as a form of entertainment. Some people do it because they're serious. Some do it to take advantage of people. So it just sort of depends because you're going to get a variety of people who use these deceptions or use these skill sets mentalism and trickery and deception chicanery to be able to fool people the problem is if you believe it based on that because you're believing something based on false pretenses you're not experiencing what you think you're experiencing it's all a fraud and as a consequence you believe something perhaps earnestly that it's legitimate when in fact it is illegitimate and that is dangerous a great example of somebody using it, in in my opinion, in a deceptive way for their own benefit was a person named Sylvia Brown in the United States. She was featured on television all the time and claimed to have the ability to communicate with the dead. But unfortunately, there were multiple cases documented on television of her making claims that were absolutely false. She dismissed it as uh, unclear information or whatever justification she used to BS the public, but the reality is she was constantly wrong. I don't believe she had any powers. The evidence doesn't suggest she had any powers, anything different than any one of us have out there currently. Nevertheless, she had thousands and thousands of followers, thousands of people who read her books and made her rich and wealthy off of that belief. And here's a perfect example of why that can be dangerous. The parents of Sean Hornbeck, a young man who had been kidnapped, were told on national television that he was dead by Sylvia Brown. She pierced the veil, a bunch of mysticism and spooky nonsense took place, and she said definitively, 100%, that Sean Hornbeck was no longer living. He was no longer among us. So think about what that caused. Think about the damage that caused to the parents of a young man who had been kidnapped who actually was alive. He was actually still alive. That's horrific. If they believed her, if they took her seriously, they would be totally moving forward under false pretenses. And then later, after her proclamations were found to be untrue, she wasn't even apologetic about it, man. Sean Hornbeck actually was found. He was perfectly alive, albeit I'm sure, damaged and suffering the consequences of such a horrific violation of his humanity. But nevertheless, he wasn't dead, like this psychic said. And here there are people that would believe her, that would hang on her every word. Stop and contemplate it. Now, not all of us are going to listen to somebody like Sylvia Brown, but all of us do that exact thing. In other words, we all make assumptions, and we look for evidence to help validate what we believe, or what we want to believe is true. Whatever that happens to be, whether it's a religious belief or a spiritual belief or a belief about economics, we all look for evidence to help support it. It's called confirmation bias. A book that talks about that and a lot more is called How We Know What Isn't So by Thomas Gilovich. He's a professor from Cornell. And another book I could recommend is Fads and Fallacies in the Name of Science, written by Martin Gardner. And every single book that I recommend is a book in my personal library. So I don't recommend anything that I haven't read and I don't personally own. I think it'd be a bit inappropriate to recommend a book to you if I haven't read it, or at least really put a little bit of time into it, and if I didn't own it myself. I mean, it's sort of bizarre to think that somebody might do a podcast and pull a book off and then just sort of randomly talk about it. That's not a good idea. Just like I don't think it's a good idea to interview somebody who's written a book and then not have a good conversation with them about it if you've read the book. If you've not read the book, how can you possibly talk about the book? And likewise, just to digress just a tiny bit here— If you're going to have somebody on your podcast or your radio show or your television show and they've written a book, you should probably read the book before you invite them so you can have a good conversation about the book with them. So then you can share that with your listening or viewing audience. It's probably not a good idea to have somebody on and then say, oh yeah, I've not read your book, but, or pronounce their name wrong without at least trying to find out how to pronounce it or ask them how to pronounce it before you start recording. I'm not a pro, but at least I get the basics. Unfortunately, these days, when I go to try to find podcasts that I can learn from, because I want to learn too. I mean, I'm not perfect. I don't know everything. I'm looking for good information on a regular basis so I can become better today than I was yesterday, so that I can become better tomorrow than I was today. It's just the way I try to do things. And I look for good information. So I go to these podcasts. They've got all these amazing five-star reviews, and they're quote-unquote best-selling authors. And then you find out, you're like, Dude, you don't even have a resume. How did you go from living on someone's couch to in a matter of two years being a millionaire and now you expect me to pay you a ton of money so that you can consult with me, but you don't have a resume. All you did is learn how to market yourself. That's it. It can't be your only model. It can't be the only way you do things. It's a really good idea if you're going to put yourself up as somebody who can help others that at least you've got some experience beyond the most superficial of levels. And I'll admit, I'll freely admit, I'm not the best example, but I am very dedicated to making sure that I'm educated and the information that I share is quality information that will help you I'm very conscious. I'm very aware that people might be listening to this. Might, right? You could be the one person that's listening to my podcast. If you are listening, I don't want to be giving you bad information, and I don't want to hammer you with constant sales pitches on every single podcast ad infinitum, ad nauseum, to the point where you're like, my God, man, I can't listen to you anymore because you're not even giving me anything of value. Anyways, I'm going to go ahead and stop the diversion because I can keep going on about that. Instead, I'm going to take a quick break and we're going to come back to the educational half of the podcast. You're listening to Head Change with James L. Clark. We'll be right back after this short break. You don't want to miss it.
1: Want to be inspired? Look out for James's new book, Boots on the Ground in Haiti. It's an emotionally moving first-person account of people just like you leaving their lives and families behind to help the victims of the 2010 earthquake in Haiti that leveled parts of the small island nation and killed more than 300,000 people in the blink of an eye. Gandhi said if you want to find yourself, lose yourself in the service of others. You'll lose yourself in the pages of this book and the real-life stories it shares.
0: All right, welcome back. So how do you figure out whether you're wrong? How do you figure out whether you're right? How do you determine these kind of things in your life? So if you're having, for example, an argument or discussion between you and someone else or a group of people, how do you figure out whether or not you're actually full of crap or whether you have something of value? How do you determine these kinds of things? One of the ways is to learn what a fallacy of argumentation is learn fallacies because they have a tremendous amount of value at allowing you to pick apart your own views and what you're saying and thinking, as well as pick apart what other people think and say and present to you. I don't personally know every fallacy out there. I used to have quite a few. I mean, I had a list of them on the refrigerator and whenever I'd walk by the refrigerator, I'd pick one and I'd just read it and try to get it in my head. And I did that after taking class on uh, critical thinking and the philosophy of logic, which is really interesting. It's sort of like... um algebra, something I'm not good at anyways, but it was a really neat class and it really helped me start to develop better argumentation skills, which are then, you know, has a direct impact on your ability to think critically and to be introspective about your critical thinking and the things that are on your mind. But I'll give you a few examples just to get you started. Okay. So, uh, let's see, let's pick one, um, anecdotal fallacy, right? So what's an anecdote? It's a personal experience. So an anecdotal fallacy is when you use a personal experience, or an isolated example, instead of using sound reasoning or compelling evidence. Now, compelling evidence is when you have good, solid information that either supports something or contradicts that thing. Pretty simple, straightforward, right? So an anecdotal fallacy is when you go, oh, well, based on my personal experience, well, your personal experience may not be totally valid, okay? It may be partially invalid, right? So you can't just rely upon purely anecdotal evidence or anecdotal fallacies during an argument. You need to look beyond the scope of your personal experience and beyond isolated examples in order to be able to really look at a circumstance and a situation. That doesn't mean you're wrong. You might actually be right. However, fallacies help you better determine these kinds of answers to these kinds of questions. One of my favorites is the false authority. (laughs) All right. So Great example here, right, of a fallacy of argumentation or a fallacy of logic. If you see somebody like, let's say, Michael Jordan, when his Nike tennis shoes came out, right? Air Jordans. Everybody wanted them. They were very expensive. They were probably made in a sweatshop. I don't know. Maybe not. Who, who knows? But they, they weren't made for the cost that they then charged, right? So there was a massive, massive amount of money that was made in between the profit. And one of the reasons they sold so well was because Michael Jordan one of the greatest basketball players in history was selling them. He was shilling them. He was the guy out there that was the face and they were his name on those shoes. So people wanted the shoes because of him. That's a false authority. Okay. Think about it. It's a false authority. He's not a podiatrist. He wasn't an expert about shoes or about whether or not they were going to help your feet or help your spine or anything like that. How do you know the shoes are actually any good just because a company says they are or worse Somebody who has no experience in shoes says they are. That's called a false authority. How often does that happen? How often do we look at celebrities and talking heads who have zero experience on a particular topic? None. No education, no academic qualifications. They haven't invested themselves in it themselves, so they're not in public libraries or buying books and studying the content, learning about it from people who are experts and have spent their lives on that particular topic. Instead, they just say what the hell comes to their mind. And because they're Kanye West, you know, some other rapper, or because they're a Kardashian and people think that they're important, they go, oh my God, that person said it. Therefore it must be true. By definition, that is a fallacy. So fallacies really help us understand the way we think. And if we can understand the way we think, if we can find the chinks in the armor, if we can find the little bits that might be right or wrong, or could manipulate the value of a particular argument, then we have a much better chance of being able to look at our own, to really be able to examine it, to be able to question ourselves, to question others, to be able to go, wait, something just isn't right about that. You know, one of my others is, I love the argumentum ad populum, right? So argumentum ad populum, that's the Latin, is a popular argument. It's an appeal to a widespread Bandwagon belief system. Okay, just because everybody's saying it so doesn't mean that it really is. I mean, think about it. Just because the crowds go in one way doesn't mean the crowd is accurate. You don't want to be a sheep, you know, as the the joke is sheep and people. You put the word together, you get sheeple. You get people who just follow. They don't really lead. They don't step out of the box. They do what they're told. They stay in their cubicle for thirty five years and they pay their taxes and they they just play the game, right? but they're never living outside of that. They're never living outside of that little parameter that they've been stuffed into, that little square peg, okay? So one of the benefits of learning fallacies is really being able to apply the fallacies to every given circumstance. If you go back and listen to one of my previous podcasts, I talk about capturing every thought at the threshold of your mind. That's a really important thing. Think about what you think about. Another good example is ad hominem, which means against the person, right? Right hominem, human, against the person making the argument, that's ludicrous. It's not going to necessarily validate or invalidate a particular argument or a thought process, but what it does allow you to do is be more sensitive to the way that people argue things they argue, so that you can go, wait a second, no, that's an attack against a person. You're attacking that person, not the argument. You're not attacking the facts being given or the lack of facts being given, and that allows you to narrow down your thought process so that you can actually find the truth. These are all tools. These are all ways to be able to learn. These are all ways to be able to examine and think critically. In my opinion, the best thing you could do is just go out and learn them. Go buy a book on critical thinking. Go take a course on critical thinking. And that way you can start to examine everything in your life. And that will help you determine what's right and wrong. It will help you determine the facts, whether the facts are true or whether they're false. You know, watch debates. Listen to the news. Watch news shows and see if you can start to apply fallacies to those arguments that are happening. Because if you can, you'll quickly start to realize that a lot of things being said are purely emotional. They're not rational. They're not logical. They're not based on fact. They're just an opinion. And what's the old saying? Everybody has an opinion. It's like assholes, right? Everyone has an opinion. It's just the way it is. Now, what about your personal views? What about how you feel about being wrong? Does it bother you to be wrong? Do you find if somebody tells you you're wrong and they say, hey, you know, here's here's the evidence behind it. Do you feel a natural resistance to argue against them, even though you may not be right? That's something you need to search your heart on, man. Something you need to look at. You need to look at the mirror and ask yourself, hey, dude, you know, am I willing to be wrong? Am I willing to accept the fact that I'm not always right? Well, here's the best way to do that. You're never going to be always right ever. You're never going to be 100% correct every single time you talk to somebody, every time you form an opinion, every time you have an opinion on something. You're going to be wrong some of the time. And that's the best way to approach it. Start with that. Start by accepting that you're not always going to be 100% correct. Because when you learn how to be wrong, when you learn to accept being wrong, when you learn to recognize that being wrong is a good thing, then you can grow. Then you can challenge precepts. Then you can start to apply what you learn outside of that into your life, and that will help you become more successful. It'll help you get where you want to get in life. That's one of the most awesome things I ever learned was being wrong is freaking brilliant. You don't own knowledge. Nobody does. So you might as well take the opportunity to learn from someone else if you can. And if you can do that, if you can start to accept that you might not be right, you can start to see things from people's perspective, from other people's perspective. You can start to understand and empathize and sympathize and grow in your relationships. It's amazing what comes out of being wrong. At the end of the day, you don't want to be a narrow-minded person. You don't want to have an attitude that causes more harm to you and others than it does help them grow. When you're willing to accept that you could be wrong, you're opening your mind, man. You're starting to grow. If your mind is closed, how can you possibly put more in it? I'll talk about this more in another podcast, but some of the most unsuccessful people in life are perfectionists. Now, you might say, well, that seems strange because perfectionism seems like you you would want to be perfect at it. And because you're driving or striving to become perfect, you're going to be way more successful. But the truth is, that's not always the case. Perfectionism can actually cause trouble sometimes because you're not able to step back and accept the fact that you're wrong. You're not able to accept mistakes and grow from them. That's just bad for you, man. Thomas Edison said, I'm not discouraged because every wrong attempt discarded is another step forward. Listen to that again. I am not discouraged because every wrong attempt discarded is another step forward. What a wonderful idea. We all make mistakes. It's fantastic. They're awesome. We gain insight from making mistakes. We can then develop empathy for others who make mistakes. As we learn to accept it, we're able to bounce back quicker. The upside to making mistakes shouldn't be underestimated. I mean, seriously. We fail, we err, but then we come back and we work harder. We're going to fall down again, then we're going to get back up again, and we're going to keep doing it until we succeed. Accepting that you're wrong allows you to do that. It allows you to be humble, and that helps you develop better relationships. Nobody likes to know it all. Trust me, I made mistakes like that. I wasn't willing to be wrong, and I lost relationships because of it. Probably the most important piece of advice I can give to you about being right or being wrong is that you need to be honest. You need to have integrity. Just be honest with yourself by admitting that you might not be right in all circumstances. You just open up doors that will really, truly help you become more successful in life. As Schultz says in her book, being wrong helps us to learn empathy, optimism, courage, and to make changes. I couldn't put it better myself all right well that's it for this episode so until next time keep your head up stay focused stay disciplined and treat others the way you want to be treated because that my friends is the key to real success thanks for listening to head change with author speaker and hero award-winning humanitarian james l clark please visit jameslclark.com for more resources and follow James at twitter.com slash James L. Clark.
1: Ready for a change? Want to implement a fail-safe system to ensure you reach your goals? Join James today on a life-changing journey Through his mentoring program, you'll learn how to live intentionally, develop a plan for personal growth, and design your new lifestyle. Visit jameslclark.com or call toll-free 1-877-JL-CLARK. That's 1-877-552-5275.